This is so exciting, this text. It's, it's like reading the book of Acts in two short paragraphs. It's kind of like a freeze frame on everything that we've been through. The, the eternal truths of the letter have been told now. And, and this now here that we move into is, is like a snapshot in time where, where we now get a glimpse of some of the people who were swept up in this gospel movement at that exact time and place as Paul wrote these eternal truths. And I try to map this out kind of pictorially through the week, you know, make a little diagram, trying to sketch each person and, and what we can tell about them in, in this particular moment in time. But it was kind of too hard to do. Here's my best summary. There's nine people listed out here doing various things with Paul at this gospel moment frozen in time. Have a look with me, and particularly from verse 7 through 12. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. People, real people in this narrative, a few of these real people in the narrative are are in prison at that point in time. Paul, for one thing, is in prison, but Aristarchus 2, verse 10, is his fellow prisoner. And so to Epaphras, verse 12, Epaphras is there, and, and if we were to flick across to another letter that accompanied this one to the Colossians, the letter to Philemon, we would read there that Epaphras is there with Paul as a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. And now that may mean something like a ministry worker, I guess, that phrase, like some kind of metaphor, But otherwise, Paul is literally in prison. Remember my chains, he finishes with in verse 18. Remember my chains. And I think we can count Aristarchus and Epaphras there with him in that sense. Two of these people here had come from Colossae to to where Paul is. Epaphras again, verse 12, was one of you. Onesimus, verse 9, is one of you, as Paul puts it to the Colossians. They've come from Colossae to where Paul is, and now this letter's going back, and Onesimus is getting ready to go home to Colossae, as Paul writes this, because he's going to accompany this letter. He's going to go with Tychicus, verse 7 and 8, as they take this letter to the Colossian church. And they're presumably also going to take the letter to Philemon with them, and also uh, Ephesians. Because we find the very same sentiment of verses 7 and 8 here. We, we find that again at the end of the letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 6 verse 21, uh, we read Paul saying, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Same kind of sentiment, same kind of journey. Tychicus and Onesimus are going to go to Colossae with these handful of letters, it would seem. And perhaps Mark, verse 10, Mark might go with them too. That one still seems to be yet to, de- to be decided as, as Paul actually writes the words in this letter. What a, what a crisp snapshot in time this is that we're looking at. 
So we've got Paul, Aristarchus, and Epaphras in, in prison, it would seem, and Tychicus, Onesimus, and maybe Mark going back to Colossae. And then Jesus called Justice, verse 11, and, and Luke and Demas, if we were to drop down to verse 14. And so there's nine people in this picture at this point in time. Back in chapter 1 and verse 1, though, where we first started, we, we recall that Timothy is there too, co-sending this letter with Paul. And so really we've got ten people in the picture, and yet only those two known connections back to the church in Colossae where this letter's going, Epaphras and Onesimus. Paul and Timothy seemingly haven't even yet met the Colossians that they're writing this letter to, and, and quite possibly most of these other people haven't either. They too, like Paul and Timothy, may just be thankful to God to have heard of their faith in Christ Jesus, as Paul and Timothy put it in in chapter 1 and verse 4, and to have heard of the love that those people in Colossae have for all the saints. But we do know that Epaphras and Anesimus, at the very least, provide that, that connection. Barnabas is mentioned along the way, you might have noticed, and, and somehow he's involved in, in the wider uh, network, wherever he happens to be at this point in time. But Barnabas just seems to be mentioned here as, as like a known person to the Colossians by way of kind of character reference for Mark. Anyway, all these various people, of course, were once without the gospel. But look at what's happening now. Jesus is on the move, saving people into the church that he's busy building here, there, and everywhere, it would seem. And within his church, Christians just naturally form together as these churches. And I reckon there are actually four churches mentioned here in this paragraph we're looking at now. Maybe five churches. It's kind of hard to tell. Let's scan through the last part in, in verses 13 to 16, and you help me see if we can catch the different churches involved here. Verse 13, For I bear Epaphras witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. So there's obviously a church in Colossae. I mean, that's who this letter is being written to. But there's also a church in Laodicea, verse 13, and, and seemingly another in Hierapolis. Just for reference, by the way, that the towns of Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis were kind of like three sister cities in, in the province of what was then Phrygia. Hierapolis and Laodicea lay on either side of the Lycus River, like right next to each other, and Colossae was just upstream. All three of these cities are, are sort of in walking distance of each other. And maybe the church that meets in Nympha's house, verse 15, is the church in Hierapolis, from verse 13. Or maybe that's a fourth church in Nympha's house. It's hard to know. And so to the ministry put in front of Archippus, verse 17, would also seem to be leading a church in his house, which you can follow up in the accompanying letter, the letter to Philemon, which is addressed to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, 
and Archippus, our fellow soldier in the church in your house. So it looks like there's four or or maybe five churches just in this little snapshot at the end of the letter here. Jesus is on the move, planting and growing churches in towns that it it would seem Paul hasn't yet been to, judging by his comments in chapter 1. Jesus is on the move. It's a pretty exciting little snapshot, isn't it? And the people in Colossae are going to get this letter and they're going to give it to the Laodicean church and vice versa with the letter that Paul sent that way. And Ephesians is also being sent with Tychicus and Onesimus, which is also written as a circular letter to, to churches of that region that Ephesus is in and, and, and with very similar thought and themes as this one here in Colossians. Philemon's involved and, and the church in his town and and these churches are to greet those churches and, and so on and so on. Real people in real churches, in, in real time and real space, really connecting with each other, and all because Jesus has been on the move, and still is. Why then, we might kind of ask, why have we more or less lost that that exciting sense of, of Jesus being on the move? Where is the excitement today of that, that wider gospel movement Why do we less and less look outward at the whole picture of what Jesus is doing and and more and more only ever seem to look in? I mean, thinking just at the personal level about that question, I I might ask, you know, why do I come to church just out of habit or or routine? And and often with a grumble about, I don't know, the restless kids or or with reservations about how they do the music or or complaints about the aircon. Why do I go to church even just to be fed? As important as that is for me, why am I increasingly becoming the end-all be-all of, of my Christian walk? What has become of all this gospel excitement captured in this little snapshot from almost 2,000 years ago about, about what Jesus is doing in the whole picture? And thinking about the question at the corporate level, I mean, we might wonder, why do churches so easily and, and comfortably slide into, into just thinking about themselves in, in isolation from, from the whole gospel movement? Sometimes claiming to be the one church, but much more commonly just being so consumed and busy with their own needs and opportunities that, that they simply forget that there are, there are other churches all around them. Forgetting that there is a whole gospel movement out there being driven to fruition by our Lord. I think the picture at the end of our letter here shows us a nice corrective for these kind of dangers of our times. And as it goes about that, it it captures two things here in in a very beautiful harmony, a, a very beautiful arrangement together. People on the one hand, having a definite spiritual home, church. And yet, on the other hand, the occasional movement of people between churches. People having a definite spiritual home and and yet movement now and then between those homes. If we zoom in on Epaphras, we see that balance in action and, and you'll get a sense of what I mean. 
Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, writes Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, he he greets you. He's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Epaphras is from the church in Colossae, where this letter's going. He is one of you, Paul tells them. He's got a spiritual home church in Colossae. And he is yearning to be there with them, it sounds like. But for whatever reason, he came to where Paul is, and now that he's there, he's stuck in prison for one, but but he's labouring in ministry too. Labouring in ministry for, for who? For his home church in Colossae. And for those churches in, in the two sister cities right next to it. He struggles in prayer tirelessly for them. Epaphras will no doubt be under very good care where he is for the time being. In fact, good will no doubt flow out of this time that he is away, prison and all. Indeed, at the start of our letter, we read that it was only because Epaphras travelled to Paul and co that, that they even came to hear of the church in Colossae where Epaphras came from, and and therefore they wrote this letter back to that church. Check this flashback with me in in chapter 1 and verse 3. Chapter 1 verse 3, Paul writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, a beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Do you see the balance I'm talking about? Epaphras not only belongs back at that church in Colossae, he is one of their ministers. And now he's travelled to Paul and Cohen and told those guys about the church back there and, and encouraged them in, in their ministry about the love in, in, in the spirit that the church back in Colossae has. And judging from Philemon, verse 23, Epaphras has ended up in prison with Paul for now. But we'd imagine that in time, if, if released, he, he'd, he'd travel back to be with the Colossians again. And so therefore, uh, Paul endorses him as a faithful minister on their behalf. Why? So, so that they will have confidence in Epaphras when, when he does return. The kind of balance of, of home church and, and yet movement, that's the case with these passages At the end of these New Testament letters, when you start looking into them, there there is a definite connectivity between the different churches and yet a very strong sense of everyone belonging in their own church. These days, I'm afraid, many people take hold only of the one or the other of those things. So at one end of the spectrum, a lot of Christians are forever, I guess, just just drifting, church hopping, without ever actually settling into this kind of church home. Or they don't bother with church at all in the first place. But look, the scriptures speak to us 
as belonging to a church home, where, where we allow ourselves to be cared for and guided and corrected according to the scriptures by elders and in the genuine relationship of church family. At the other extreme, in the church home, we easily tend to then isolate into our home church and and never really connect with other churches outside. And in that mindset, we can all too easily become insular, only ever looking in and and eventually only discussing things like the colour of the carpet if we drift and lose touch with the gospel. But the picture here is of a beautiful balance in this text, isn't it? It's a beautiful balance between those two things. Everyone belongs somewhere, and so they can be properly cared for and kept accountable and disciplined when need be. And yet people do travel and visit other churches at times, encouraging those churches and being encouraged in return and and carrying back to their home church guidance and and prayer needs and and just plain excitement about what Jesus is doing all over. So let me ask a few questions around this for, for the modern Christian and for the modern church. If you haven't yet settled into a church family, would you be prepared to step into this New Testament idea of, of having a spiritual home church? Like these people in Colossae, or, or the people at Nympha's house, or, or in Laodicea? Can you see that the New Testament letters were actually written with that singular picture in view of, of us each belonging in a church family? Can you see that? And would you be willing to step into that? And if you do belong in a church family, would you consider every once in a while visiting another church? Maybe when you go on holidays, for example, do you visit with other churches when you're out of town? Do you look to bring encouragement in both directions and and bring news of the kingdom to your extended family, so to speak? And if you lead a church, are you okay with that idea? Supportive even of that idea of of the people in your care visiting somewhere else every now and then? Or do you discourage or hinder that kind of thing? What do you make of texts like this in Colossians 4 here, where, where there is clear movement and connectivity from time to time between churches? And this call on the local church in verse 15 to, to, to greet other churches, how well does that idea gel with our church culture today? This is a challenging little picture, and it could very easily be distorted if our sinful heart only lets us see one half of that balance. But if we can get the picture right, get the balance right, neither on the one hand to, to church hop or drift or drop out of fellowship, but, but nor to isolate and become insular in our own little church bubble somewhere. But if we can strike this biblical balance between, between finding a spiritual home church and yet with flow and connection between churches, then, then there are very healthy reasons why I think we should do so. First of all, it is fundamentally just healthy for us to be looking out rather than only ever looking in. 
at the individual level, it's good for us, isn't it, to, to always remember and, and be reminded that, that we're surrounded by brothers and sisters too who will all inherit eternal life with us. And the celebration and the fellowship in the meantime may, may chop and change from time to time, but it will never end. We will all be gathered around our Lord together for all eternity and by the same singular reason that Christ died for our sin. So we shouldn't dwell entirely on our own personal walk. We need to take great care with our own spiritual walk, of course, but but we must always frame that walk by the big picture of, of what Jesus is doing more broadly. It is good for us to lift our eyes together with our brothers and sisters and and see what Jesus is doing for all who believe. And of course, all those things in chapter 3 we thought about of, of how we live out this gospel life together, it only can be experienced in, in proper community together. And at the church level too, it's healthy. It's healthy for us to always know that that this church is not the only church. So, for example, we have been drawn together here in this church by Jesus Christ as, as a church family in this massive development area. Huge, isn't it? With, with far from enough churches at present, as we all know. But there are, nevertheless, other churches here with us. And, and we pray for those churches, that God would work through them just like he's working through us. And yes, we are very far flung way up north here, in the middle of nowhere really, aren't we? But, but take heart, brothers and sisters, to know that there are plans for, for two more church plants coming to this region, just that I'm aware of. And in time, of course, we too hope to grow and train and plant in this region. Again, be, be excited, friends, because I tell you, Jesus is still on the move. So I say it, at both the individual and, and the corporate level, it is healthy for us to look outward at what Jesus is doing everywhere rather than, than only ever looking in. The second reason that it's good for us to try to strike this balance uh, between belonging in our own spiritual home church but allowing for flow between churches is, is that this is the means by which we can all help to keep each other faithful in the gospel. And we get to do that in both directions if we get this balance right. So, so Paul and Timothy are not writing this letter back to a group of people who believe whatever they reckon about Jesus and, and do you know, whatever they feel like. They are sending this letter so as to keep that church in Colossae on point with the truth of the gospel and the life that it leads to. Scripture calls us into the objective truth of the gospel. God has reconciled to himself all who trust in Jesus through his death on the cross and graciously and certainly saving us by that sacrifice, he now calls us to live as his people in faithful obedience and in loving relationship and community. To live as Jesus because we are now his. So we don't just flag the name Jesus on the church building and then and then think and do whatever our gut feels, you know. We do and think as God has put before us to do and think. 
So it's all well and good and healthy for us to look out and, and to be encouraged by the other churches around us. But, but so too, as churches, we want to keep each other faithful to the gospel. We each and, and we corporately must hold fast to the gospel truth. And so, so belonging to a spiritual church home and also having flow between those different churches helps to keep us faithful in that gospel call. So the various ministries of our home church can help us keep faithful to the gospel. You know, things like small groups and and one-to-one ministries and and the teaching and the preaching and the prayer. Those things become very effective at keeping people faithful to the gospel when, when there is genuine relationship involved. And that's what our home church family allows for. When we get to know each other deeply and, and properly, we really start to be able to take care of one another and watch that, that no false or deceptive things are sneaking into each other's lives and, and, and leading us away from the gospel. We can keep each other accountable in our gospel life when we know each other properly. These things are very hard to do for the one who's just forever drifting or, or the disengaged Christian who's given up and try to, to map this stuff out by themselves. Chief in the devil's strategy, actually, is to isolate believers. And it is to turn their focus entirely in on themselves, because that way he can more likely damage us. Genuine relationship in the spiritual home provides the healthy and the natural context for our walk of faith. But on the other hand, if the church isolates then it is in great danger of becoming wayward and and letting everyone there in that church drift from the gospel. Having flow and and reminder and encouragement and correction at times between churches can help to keep all these churches faithful to the gospel too as they each seek to watch over their people. It's actually very easy for a church to to slip without even realising it into you know, making laws and traditions unto itself. Having connectivity and, and eyes on things from outside, it's a very healthy measure against that kind of danger. So with that dozen or so churches in our area, for example, and the new church plants coming in God's time, we need to be thinking about ways that we can do this, how we can help each other keep faithful to the gospel as churches and, and on point with the calls in this letter so that we lead our people well. We want to sharpen and we want to be sharpened by these other churches to the glory of God. Anyway, here's what I think it would look like for the the modern Christian and for the modern church to to kind of draw closer to this picture in the text here in Colossians 4 and with the same kind of passages all through the New Testament. First of all, people need to settle into their own spiritual home. And I know plenty of people today have taken another path. But there simply is no other picture of the Christian journey mapped out in Scripture. You're not going to find a line somewhere in this Bible where where Paul or Peter or John write their greetings to the believer who is just modelling Jesus in their own life, their own way, on their own somewhere. Christians, you are saved into Jesus' church. You need a spiritual home where you can experience the love and the care and the accountability and the correction and the discipline that that only relationship can 
provide. And secondly, we must not then isolate and, you know, close off from all the other congregations out there. Jesus is driving a whole gospel movement and we must ever be mindful of that. And from time to time, we need some flow. We need some healthy connectivity for our own good and and for the good of those churches too, to make sure that none of the churches are are drifting away from the gospel and the life that it calls us into. This, This is the healthiest possible corrective for that. Holding to the scriptures, as always, is paramount. But those external eyes, they're good for us. And so too is the sheer encouragement, of course, in, in the solidarity from this one gospel truth that saved us all. Christ died for our sins to bring us to him. And on that beautiful note, we finish our letter with, with both challenge, I reckon, and encouragement as one church family among many church families in Jesus' whole glorious gospel movement. Let me pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for the scriptures that you put in front of us and and the pleasure it has been to read through this letter to the Colossians. We thank you for this this picture that it finishes on of, of this this gospel movement. We pray that you would give us eyes to see Jesus' whole picture, not, not get lost in our own self or in our own church. We thank you, Father, for calling us and saving us into relationships, relationships in the local church family. Father, for those not settled into a local church family, I pray that you would help us to settle. Thank you for the relationship that, that's shown here in, in the connections between churches, Father, and we pray that you'd help us to do that too. Not to become a silo down the track, but, but occasionally be visiting and, and welcoming and that we might be sharpened by those churches and they might be sharpened by us. And Father, we pray all of these things so that Christ may be all and in all. For your glory in everything that we do together, world without end. In Jesus' name, amen.